0: This is The Breakfast Wrap with
1: John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Tuesday, March 7th. The weather forecast for today. Skies are expected to clear out, let alone the gusty side, a high of plus 2 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Justin Trudeau will appoint a special investigator in the Chinese election meddling. Number two, a Brampton school is terrorized by coyotes. Number three, educators are suspended pending an investigation into the punishment of a black student. Number four, Torontonians are grumpy over the botched snow removal operation. Number five, does Metrolinx hate trees?
0: The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore.
1: look at that. It's Tuesday. I don't know if that's particularly significant or not. Some weeks, it seems the days go by rather slowly. But here we are. We've made it to Tuesday, the 7th of March, and plenty to talk about today, including, can we all stop pretending? Whenever something happens that has a new word or a new concept... Everybody sort of rushes to the finish line and says, I know exactly what that is. What is a rapporteur? Can anybody explain that for me? All of a sudden, Justin Trudeau is appointing a special rapporteur to probe foreign interference in uh, the Canadian elections. Anyway, reading from Todd McCharles, amid rising political pressure, the Liberal government will name an outside advisor to examine how Canada has handled foreign election interference and recommend whether a public inquiry is needed. A move that falls well short of the immediate inquiry demanded by the opposition. Uh, Here's the prime minister yesterday. This happened at 5.15 and he said he was going to appoint this rapporteur.
2: I understand that people want answers, and Canadians deserve reassurance. I will get to the details in a moment, but today, I'm announcing that I will be appointing an independent special rapporteur who will have a wide mandate and make
1: expert recommendations on combating interference and strengthening our democracy. So it's not a judicial inquiry, it's not a Crown Commission, It's a rapporteur. And, you know, if he wasn't so busy as our uh, delegate to the United Nations, I would think that maybe Bob Ray might be a good person. If he wasn't in hospice care, I'd say Jimmy Carter would probably be a better investigator. But at the same time, I also wonder what is going to be discovered Eventually, I can't identify the individual, but I heard from a fairly high ranking politician yesterday who said, Boy, could I tell you stories about election interference, and the Chinese are not even in the top five. And let's face it, foreign governments and expatriate communities have been tooling around with elections for like 150 years. It used to be the Irish Catholics versus the Irish Protestants in you know, municipal politics. Um, Nationally, frankly, there's a ton. It's not maybe government mandated, but there's a ton of interference from the United States in Canadian electoral processes. It always seems to depend on, you know, who that interference is on the behalf of whether or not people object to it. If somebody's you know, trying to meddle with, uh, you know, is, is trying to sow climate change denial, for example, then some people will say that's fantastic. If somebody is trying to meddle with the oil industry in Alberta, then that's another case altogether. But anyway, I'm very eager to, first of all, find out what a rapporteur is and then who it's going to be. And then you get into, okay, how long is this going to take, and when are they going to report back, and is anybody going to give a rat's patootie by the time it happens? I mean, at the very least, I like that the investigation into the declaration of the war, uh, well, it wasn't War Measures Act, into the uh, Emergencies Act was over almost to a day uh, in a year. And, of course, it's completely forgotten now, right? I mean, that report came in when? Ten days ago? Two weeks ago, and who's paying any amount of attention? Uh, Scott Reed joined uh, News Talk Tonight, Jim Richards, to talk about this latest development, and he was also asked, you know, are they just kicking this down the can down the road?
2: Yeah, I don't really feel that way, like because you have to understand. Like and this is the problem. People will say that. Like people will immediately say that. And they might not have if the government had said, You're darn tootin, this is a serious issue. And in order to reassure the public, we are a recognizing that it's serious. And here are the four things we're doing. And they do like four things in this you know but all of that was lost because they spent 10 days saying yeah you don't get off our ass and don't ask for this and you're wrong to think that and it's probably just anti-chinese sentiment and blah 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 and a hundred things and so the announcement that is in my view correct and valid and considered and reasoned for a complex issue now looks like it happened under duress and people will say it's inadequate and i think You know, I think that's partly, more than partly, that's on the government. Yep. But still, it doesn't mean that the answer is inadequate.
1: Okay, and we come back to that maxim. And I repeat these maxims because eventually I hope they end up in my Wikipedia entry. But as a, um, you know, a, a person who does crisis control once said, how does this end go there now? And that's exactly what happened. You know, it took Justin Trudeau two weeks to get to the rapporteur, and now we're going to get a rapporteur. Joe, can you look that up and see if there's an official definition of of what a rapporteur is? Um, Meanwhile, um, I've still come back to... Amanda Galbraith made me laugh out loud last week when we were talking about the trees at Osgoode Hall, and she said, "'Rich white people sure like their trees.'" And so apparently, Metrolink's is declaring war even more so on rich white people because uh, 2,787 trees along the Don Valley are apparently going to have to come down in order to make way for the Ontario line. And I get it. We're, you know, stuff's going to happen. If you're going to build a new subway line, which is not entirely subway, a lot of it is going to be at surface and apparently some of it even elevated, then stuff's going to have to get out of the way. But I also think you have to ask questions about whether or not it's always the best route or the best tactic or the best approach. And uh, mowing down 2,787 trees is not insignificant. Metrolinks insists that they're going to be um, uh, putting, a, you know, build, uh, planting new trees just elsewhere, they also insist that 700 of these trees are invasive or disease-prone, including Norway maple, Manitoba maple, white mulberry, black locust, and Russian olive. Who knew this much about trees? But uh, there we are. And I don't know um, whether or not this is uh, an existential crisis, but I do think there's there's gonna be a lot of pain in the manufacturing or the creation of the Ontario line. And it's not just gonna be trees. I mean, there are houses that are gonna be expropriated and demolished. There is parkland that is going to be eliminated. Um, a lot of people are very upset about aspects of how this, the you know, the tracks are gonna go through some fairly challenged neighborhoods at times and whether or not that's a fair thing.
0: Okay, time to say good morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, good morning. Happy Tuesday. Uh, let's get into this. So it doesn't look like there will be a public inquiry yet, but Trudeau has tapped a special rapporteur to investigate uh, cases of foreign interference.
1: And this has me heading to Google to find out what a rapporteur <laughs> yes. does. But yes, uh, it won't be a judicial inquiry, won't be a crown committee It a commission. It will be a rapporteur who is going to look at foreign interference in our elections. Uh, this looks at 2019 and 2021. I have a feeling that this inquiry is probably going to reveal a lot more than Chinese meddling. I was talking to one politician yesterday who said, listen, uh, you know, you, g- you have no idea the kind of foreign meddling there is in Canadian elections mm-hmm. at all three levels Um, Mostly, it seems uh, municipal and federal, Um, but yeah, you know, the Chinese interference is one thing, and then you get into all kinds of other countries, including uh, Russia and uh, North Korea and Iran, and there's all kinds, and India, and all kinds of poking around. Mm,
0: Yeah, interesting. Uh, I didn't know what repertoire meant either. I'm sure it's definitely a French word, but it just reminds me of a move in ballet (laughs) that they would tell you to do. Uh, (laughs) Okay, uh, turning to something more serious, uh, John, uh, three staff members are under investigation after a a six-year-old black student was allegedly locked in a small room at a Toronto
1: elementary school. Yeah, the Toronto District School Board is investigating an alleged incident of anti-black racism. A six-year-old child, as you mentioned, the child is a grade one student at John Fisher Jr. Public School. Uh, The child's mother says that he was sequestered in a room for a half hour and that this is part of an ongoing pattern. So we'll see how this investigation unfolds. But yes, three people are on home leave right now. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, we'll see what happens there. Uh, And you know, three, four days after that major winter snowstorm, uh, there are some complaints, a lot of complaints actually, about the lack of snow clearing on sidewalks and at bus stops. But a volunteer group has kind of taken it into their own hands. They've cleared about 12 streetcar stops.
1: Yeah, this was a gang of people you're absolutely right to grab the shovels and decided to do the work that would normally be done by city workers. A lot of these reports are anecdotal in terms of people complaining about the snow clearing process. I can tell you I live on a side street in Midtown and it was like a moonscape up mm. until the big melt yesterday and an awful lot of people complaining about the snow drifts and, you know, the windrows because for example, you use a walker or a wheelchair, you're pretty well screwed in trying trying to mm. get around.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It can be even tricky if you're not using a walker or a wheelchair or anything like that. So the frustration is understandable there. Uh, And it looks like kids at a Brampton school, elementary school, are being kept inside until March break because coyotes have been spotted outside the school.
1: Yeah, it's pretty dramatic footage, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it shows coyotes in the area of Our Lady of Peace School in Brampton. Uh, kids are all a buzz about this naturally because this kind of wildlife and this kind of uh, alleged peril is, uh, I guess, very compelling for a kid. Um, but they're just going to keep the kids inside of the school for the time being. We don't know yet if they're going to go for a cull, uh, which would mm-hmm. be fairly dramatic and uh, kind of sad. But still, you know, yeah. I mean, you got kids and safety in 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 jeopardy here with some wildlife that is in and around the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We live uh, off a ravine, and we've spotted coyotes on the walk to school. And even at nighttime, they come howling and out in packs. You can see them from outside my window. So uh, it's quite the sight to see, and I'm sure very scary for some kids and parents there. Uh, last of all, uh, John, if there was a Pink Floyd song about this, maybe it would be called Leave the Trees Alone. Uh, first, Osgood Hall. Uh, now, Metrolinx is set to cut down thousands of trees in Don Valley for the Ontario lot.
1: This is only the beginning, I think, of an awful lot of things we're going to find out about that are going to have to be demolished, moved, uh, adjusted in order to facilitate the building of the Ontario line. Uh, but the latest numbers are that 2,787 trees along the Don Valley are going to have to be uh, cut down in order to make way for this new subway line. Uh, Metrolinks insists that 700 of the trees are invasive or quote, disease prone, mm. and they include, if we want to get into this kind of uh, arborology, Norway maple, Manitoba maple, white mulberry, black locust, and Russian olive.
0: Wow. Did you know so many species of maple or different names of trees existed, John?
1: No. 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 (laughs) I'm not going to pretend I understood any of this stuff before this morning.
0: Okay. Well, I've learned something. News Talk 1010's John Moore. You can catch him from 5.07 a.m. to 9. Thanks, John. We'll chat with you tomorrow. Take care.
1: That's our friend Jennifer Shang over at CP24. And I don't really know how to frame this tree story. You know, sometimes somebody says, we're going to demolish this historic building, and I think, no, that's wrong. I don't know if 2,700 trees have to be knocked down to make way for the Ontario line. So I'll leave it for people who know uh, more about this uh, kind of file. It's five twenty-four. And you know what? Let's press the reset button. And uh, when we come back, there's a bunch of other stuff today, including and again, this is one of those stories where I really need to know more. A drug case in Toronto, which is actually to date the largest cross border drug case ever, has completely fallen apart. And so nobody is going to be prosecuted. I mean, it's not like they're going to give the drugs back. Um, but the whole thing has come undone and we're looking forward to talking to our crime expert former homicide detective Mark Mendelson, on the show this morning to find out how something like this falls apart.
0: You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore.
1: 5.37 on a Tuesday morning minus 2 degrees. I guess it makes me a grumpy old man but I'm not a fan of change. I... Whereas uh, somebody once wrote a book, I think it was called, uh, Who Moved My Cheese? And there's a lot of cheese moving these days. And I have to say, I was just looking up at one of the monitors. As you know, we have like 10 screens in here. They're all on different networks. And somebody's decided to put one of them on a sports network, which is fine with me, although often distracting. I'll be doing an interview. And then somebody will hit a home run in one of those, you know, the top 20 moments of this, year, whatever. And I'll be like, I'm not even, I, I'm not listening to the person who's talking anymore. I'm watching this play. Uh, but there's a lot of curling going on right now. If you're a curling fan, I guess you'll know exactly, you know, what level of bond spiel this is. But the thing that I noted this morning is they now have lights on the stones. And I'm not sure what that's about. But it's, I I find it unnecessary and and perhaps it's a means of uh, tracking, you know, maybe they've got apple uh, chips or whatever you want to call them in them so that you can better actually understand what's happening in the game. But I don't know why we need lights that flash on curling stones.
3: So a few years ago, when Fox decided they wanted to get into the NHL game and put in aired games, they put a chip in each of the pucks, and this blue or red streak would come across the screen so that the viewers can follow the puck.
1: Yeah, even though Canadians had been following pucks for 100 years on black-and-white low-definition television. Matter of fact, we were capable of following pucks on the radio. So... Anyway, I guess we can get all snobby about stuff like that. If you are a curling enthusiast and you want to tell me why they have flashing lights on the stones now, maybe there's some fantastically ingenious uh, aspect to this whole thing, you can always text me on this or any other issue at 71010. I have been inundated with messages both from fellow staffers and from listeners about what a rapporteur is. Uh, It's not that I had never heard the word before. It's just... Frankly, in the course of Canadian investigations, I don't know that 24 hours ago anybody said, what we need in this Chinese election interference is a rapporteur. But now we've got a rapporteur. And a rapporteur is a person who is appointed by an organization to report on the proceedings of its meetings. That sounds like a stenographer. It doesn't sound like an investigator. But Ashley Dagasik also points out that rapporteur is also the French word for a protractor, you know, that thing tells you what an angle is. So there you go. Um, I mean, there's nothing trivial about the possibility that the Chinese tried to interfere with our election. There is plenty that seems trivial in our reaction to this whole process. And Justin Trudeau yesterday deciding we would have a special rapporteur. I'm uh, I'm just not sure where that is necessarily going to get us. I really do hope, though, That where it gets us is to acknowledge that election interference is nothing new. And it's been going on by international governments for a very long time. And in particular, it's about diaspora communities. And let's face it, you know, let's not be innocent, naive in all of this that certain expatriate communities and newcomers to Canada will live in the same area and will exercise a degree of influence over politics. And sometimes you get into aspects of, you know, I mean, when it comes to India versus Pakistan or various other conflicts and um, when it comes to Indian politics in particular and the tensions between Hindus and Muslims, for example. Um, That stuff is visited upon the local electoral and political scene. So let's not be naive and foolish about this. So um, coyotes running through the streets, very dramatic video and a fairly dramatic situation for kids at at least one Brampton school who are now being kept indoors because the coyotes are running wild. Here's Scott Lightfoot.
4: Afternoon recess bell rings at Brampton's Our Lady of Peace Elementary School, but none of the kids come out for fresh air. It's not the weather that's keeping them inside.
5: Oh my gosh, it's a coyote.
4: It's concerns over coyotes.
5: It's a concern for all the parents.
4: Um, We want them gone. People who live in the area have seen a family of five coyotes around for a few weeks. I thought it was a dog at first, <laughs> but the way it was walking, you could tell it was wild and it was big and yeah, it was definitely a coyote and since then I've seen them three or four times around the area. But last week the animals were observed in the schoolyard. Since then, school officials have kept the kids inside throughout the school day. It just
5: kind of runs around in the field. It doesn't really do much. Last time I saw it, it ran away.
4: Parents and residents want the city to step in.
5: Ideally, I'd like the coyotes gone, they, them captured, relocated, removed from this area.
4: Brampton Animal Services said they first responded to a call about coyotes in the area on March 1st and since then they have been observing and engaging in aversion conditioning techniques with the animals.
2: Their hands are sort of tied uh, with the Wildlife Act of Ontario which says they can't trap them and move them on their own you can sort of direct them in a new direction um walking them in back into their their traditional area of habitat but you know the Wildlife Act of Ontario is restrictive.
4: Brampton's mayor, who says he understands the concerns of area residents, maintains the city can find a way to convince the coyotes to relocate.
2: We're going to find a way to make sure that um, in a in a manner that is legally appropriate that they get uh, um, that they find a new uh, a new home elsewhere, not near a school.
4: In the meantime, area residents will continue to keep an eye on their pets and be on the lookout for the new neighbors. No one here wants.
1: That's Scott Lightfoot, and um, I think people are perhaps being a little bit too charitable when it comes to these coyotes. I don't know that you can necessarily convince them to move elsewhere, although I'm sure Frank Leo could find them a lovely place to live. I I suspect they're probably going to have to be culled. At least one person was texting us and insisting it's coyote breeding season. Um, I don't know necessarily how that impacts on coyotes' And, and a school in Brampton, but all of this is part, I always remember Lauren Green, and I appreciate it, I'm, uh, who was it? I was, I was interviewing a, an actress yesterday who's uh, got a new show on CTV called Shelved, it's a sitcom, and we were talking about sort of the sensibility of it and the fact that it's a Canadian sitcom, but I was comparing it to The Beachcombers, and she said, I've never seen The Beachcombers. So I can appreciate there's an awful lot of people listening who have no freaking idea who Lauren Green is or was. Um, but the quick story was he had a show called The New Wilderness. And the philosophy of it was that it was about how mankind had extended its footprint so far that there was nothing left of the wilderness, that we were effectively now living on the territory of, of all of the wildlife and that's the problem we have when it comes to things like coy wolves and coyotes is, okay, if you were going to move them out of Brampton, where would you send them? Caledon? Milton?
0: Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore.
1: So frequently, Nick Marano, our show together is, um, is like show prep for your show, Totally Useless Information. That's correct, sir. Um, so what have we learned about uh, the stones, uh, people? This is what I love about, you know, any, at any given time, I can ask a question about the fire department, uh, the airline industry, or curling. And somebody listening knows a thing or two about it. And I was asking why we have lights on curling stones now. And somebody has texted in and told us. Well, it, it makes sure that
3: the, stone does, uh, that the stone actually reaches the hog line. The hog line. Now you're supposed to ask me what's a hog line? What is the hog line? Well, the hog line apparently gets its name from an old Scottish slang term for a weak lamb. Okay. (laughs) Not a weak hog, a pig, but it's a weak lamb, and it's usually called from the flock, and so a hog stone is one that doesn't reach the far hog line. Sounds like a metaphor, but it must be removed from play. All right. Why do we need a light? I mean... Well, I have foul a... lights on bowling, right? You know, if, if your foot crosses that line, it goes off and it's, it's a foul.
1: That's true. Okay, but that's like just a laser to make sure that you don't cross the, the foul line.
3: But this is to make sure that the
1: stone reaches the, the line at least. So, All right. I don't think I've really learned my full lesson today when it comes to curling. And I have to say, I just, I've always thought curling is just a very fancified version of skittles and or skittle. And anyway, now I've probably offended a whole bunch of people because I appreciate curling is like one of, I, you know, Canada's national sport, again, totally useless information, is lacrosse. And uh, curling may not be officially a national sport, but I do appreciate, and as somebody who's an enthusiast of golf, which is a thoroughly silly game, I'm, I, I should probably stop talking mean about curling. Uh, the time is 549. And uh, do we have Aaron Real? Nope, not yet. Okay, that's over. all right. Aaron Real is going to join us momentarily, uh, taking a look at why some people like to work on Saturday and Sunday. One of those people is our own Scott Reed. And I guess I, well, no, I was going to say I can appreciate this. I mean, I don't know when you necessarily do work because it's, Very much formatted about what kind of work you do. You know, in the case of our show, I absolutely have to get up at two and start getting ready for the show. And we absolutely have to be on the air at five and we're done at nine. And then we start show prep all over again. But that's not the way most people work. Uh, Here's Scott Reed talking about, and remember, he's an independent business guy. He's a consultant. He says he loves to work on the weekend.
2: Yeah, I'm working on the weekend. I'm not just working for the weekend. I'm working on the weekend. Oh. Also, I'm a big fan of the Merle Haggard tune, you know, or, you know, the Working Man Blues where I, you know, drink my beer in the tavern, you know, I get tight on the weekend. I try to draw my pay. Like, I don't, you know, this whole idea of like, treat the weekend like a vacation, I don't
1: know, man. It's a nice concept. I don't think it bears any resemblance to the practical universe. Okay. And it all hinges, again, on what your work model is, right? I mean, 9.01 on Friday... Joe Cristiano and I are out the door, and one of my favorite things about Friday is I don't have to think about anything. I don't have to read the New York Times or the the Canadian newspapers if I don't want to. I don't have to have an opinion about anything. You know, uh, we go out for lunch, I take a nap, and then I just sort of allow my head to be empty. However, um, more and more people apparently are working on the weekend with details on that. Here's NBC News national radio correspondent Aaron Rael. Good morning, Aaron
5: good morning and i love that idea john you're so right you know just clearing your head friday afternoon there's few things that feel better. You can fill it back up Saturday morning, but let it go Friday afternoon. (laughs) But it seems that while just 5% of all workers that are tracked by this active track, that analyzes over 175 million hours of work across over 130 productivity management software tools, those Slacks, those Microsoft Teams, they say that the average hours worked on Saturday and Sunday last year had increased 5% to 6.6 hours. So this is a spike of 25%, and they think the reason is twofold. They first think, A, job cuts have really heaped more work on fewer staff, and then B, the need to escape this constant interruption that you're getting from Zoom calls, from Slack chats, that's just part of today's hybrid workplace. This connectivity has you tethered to your home desk, maybe not tethered to your office desk, but it doesn't give you much time to be productive when you're constantly in meetings.
1: Okay. So, I mean, is this people just sort of moving around their work hours because it feels better? Or is it because everybody feels that they are necessarily, that they owe the office and so they just have to keep working?
5: I, it's They didn't say exactly from this acti- this productivity tracker. They couldn't tell exactly why people were doing this. They could just see that they were But the most common weekend warriors we know are technology staffers, then media, as you mentioned, and then consumer goods after that. But it seems to be a confluence of just the new workplace norms that have brought about by the pandemic, that's just the latest example of the breakdown of the long-held workplace norms and the new ones emerging. So this demand for increased flexibility from actual employees is really at odds with what employers want in terms of bringing people back to the office. But if productivity is getting done, and we know statistically people are more productive in this new format than they ever were at the office. It, there's something to be said it, for okay, maybe that's because you took six hours on the weekend to do some stuff. It's hard to say yet; yeah, the verdict isn't out if it's a good or a bad thing. But it is definitely rising in the terms of the blurred line between work day and work weekend.
1: Aaron, thank you very much. Thank you, Aaron Rael, NBC News National Radio Correspondent. And I like the the use of the word blurred because I think that's the real issue here. And ironically. The research has shown over the last few years when people work from home, they actually work longer hours. And it may actually be owing to this lurking fear in the back of our heads. Well, not, you know, in my case, I don't work a normal job. Uh, in the backs of the, of the heads of a lot of people, that they're somehow, you know, gold breaking or getting lazy. So they work even more in order to show the intensity of their focus on things. And another aspect would be, and I'm sure you'd agree with this entirely, I think email has been one of the greatest consumers of useless amounts of work time. At the end of our show every morning, I have to go through probably a hundred emails that we all traded while we were putting the show together and uh, erase them. And that's like 15 minutes of time for nothing. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon.
0: You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.